12. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> oh, this is the Not Funny Diarrhea Club, and my name is Corey, and I'm here for another week, another podcast. Now, this is horrendously exciting. Very exciting for me, actually. Uh, I've taken on a gigantic project. You know that lately I've acquired a nice camera, and uh, I've decided to make a short horror movie all by myself. I'm like a one-man production here. I'm going to act and direct and do everything. And I've been posting little video updates to YouTube. And uh, you can go see what the progress is on this. But uh, yeah, I've been writing. I've been buying stuff. I've been figuring out how I'm going to make this all work. And I am super excited about it. It's, it's a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of planning. But man, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And whether or not <laughs> the thing actually turns out... Uh, worth watching. Who knows? But I'm going to have fun doing it. Uh, I'm going to try to kind of, I don't know, gain some knowledge here and a little bit of experience as far as filmmaking goes. Uh, I've done tons of video projects. Uh, I used to do TV and a lot of things like that, but I got out of it. And uh, so now, I don't know, I want to kind of do my own thing here. So that's what I'm doing. Follow me on YouTube. The links are all over midnightcory.com. You'll be able to do that. I'm posting them also to that website, to my blog. So yeah, yeah. Go watch them. Go check them out and then uh, let me know how you think I'm doing. Now, to everybody, those three wonderful people who won the uh, Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody Zombie Flash Fiction Contest, please, please send me your addresses. Uh, you have prizes waiting right here for you. Uh, only one of the three has actually sent me any kind of information. Uh, I know everybody knows whether or not they've won, I think. So, yeah, you're a little slow. Um, so, yeah, you're holding everything up. You're holding everything up. I'm sending everything out at once. So, send them to me right away, please. Come on. Come on, send them an email. Uh, Corey at midnightcory.com. That's where you can send them. Okay, all kinds of excitement this week. Another big piece of excitement. I get to talk to my friend, author extraordinaire, Rob Best. He just released Ashton Memorial, the uh, sequel to Lakewood Memorial. I reviewed it last week, and I got to talk with him this week. Rob is a fantastic guy. I had so much fun talking to him. You're going to be able to hear that a little bit later on in the show. Got a movie review of The Man They Could Not Hang. Uh, this is the last uh, Boris Karloff movie that I'm going to be talking about. Um, in the foreseeable future. Uh, this is the last of three zombie movies that he made in the 1930s. So we're wrapping that all up with The Man They Could Not Hang. And then we'll keep going throughout zombie history and see what else uh, the weird 30s and 40s had to offer us in the way of zombies. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is going to be the last we see of Karloff in the zombie genre. And I'm also going to talk a little bit. I might as well talk about them right now because they're not full-fledged reviews. Um, first of all, this past weekend, I got to see Memento, which, uh, is a movie I've seen several times now that this is like the, probably about the fourth time I've watched it. It's a great movie. Um, it's the movie that was, you know, filmed all backward. Well, it was edited together backwards. So you see the last part of the movie first, the last shot 
first, and then it goes clear back to the beginning. And it's all about a guy that has short-term memory loss, and he can only remember his life up to a point. So things, his memory like keeps resetting like every five minutes or something like that. It's a crazy, crazy movie. You should watch it. Although for me, this time was probably one of the more lackluster times that I've seen the movie because uh, I already know what happened. You know, I already knew the beginning <laughs> of the movie. So yeah, yeah, that, that's a movie you can only watch so many times and, and really get the full enjoyment out of it. The first time you see it, you're going to love it. I, I guarantee it. So Memento, you can see that on uh, Netflix Instant Watch. And every time I see that, I just keep thinking that that guy is almost, almost Val Kilmer. I can't remember his name now, but he's the lead guy. And uh, that girl from The Matrix is in it, too. I kept thinking that. But another movie on Netflix, Instant Watch, that I watched this last weekend was the movie Low. And uh, somebody suggested that I watch this. They said they'd like my take on it. And uh, it's just a movie spelled Low, L-O. And it actually, it's the name of a demon. And the movie is all about uh, basically a demon that this guy um, summons in order to uh, somehow, it has something to do with him and his girlfriend and their relationship. It, it's actually kind of a crazy little story they weave here. And man, this is a weird little movie. I'd never heard of it before. And uh, I just don't know. I mean, yeah, it, it was it was fun to watch. But there are times when it was a little too theatrical for me. The, the, the movie keeps going in and out between scenes of very staged theatrical kind of over the top scenes uh, and then they cut those in with with scenes of uh, you know where it's more like a movie and uh, the the makeup looks great I mean the demons look fantastic but uh, there's there's humor involved and there's a lot of over the top kind of things so it's like a very weird mix I've never seen anything quite like it so I encourage you to go check that out also come on it's on Netflix you can just load it up and watch it if you're one of their subscribers. So the movie is spelled L-O, low. Uh, yeah, yeah, go check it out. I'm not going to rate these because uh, I, I don't know. Memento, definitely go watch it. Low, give it a shot. You, you may really, really like it. Then again, you may really, really hate it too. So who knows? But uh, I appreciate I think it was Mitch that uh, wanted to know what I thought of that. So good call. I actually, overall, I enjoyed it. But uh, it was just, it was so weird. I don't know. <laughs> Hey, review of beers this week by Brian in Colorado once more. I was so happy to see my friend come back with a <laughs> review of beers, and he'll explain a little bit why we didn't hear from him last week, which is perfectly fine. But uh, yeah, I got some original music for you and a whole lot of other good stuff. Let's get into talking about some zombie things. Um, Mick Pierce, a Little Dead podcast, Mick Pierce, fantastic guy and a fantastic podcast, I'll tell you that. Um, but uh, he sent me this great link, actually, just today. It's all about The Walking Dead. Surprise, surprise. All the zombie news coming out nowadays is about The Walking Dead, which which is good. I just hope I don't see so much of it that I get sick of it before I get to watch it in October. But uh, this was from Dread Central, and uh, what he sent, this is an article that features a video of Greg Nicotero, uh, K&BFX, you know, the guy he... horror makeup legend... Um, but, uh, it's Greg talking about how he made one of the first zombies that you get to see in the Walking Dead TV show. And, uh, it's very cool to watch. I think you should go click on the link. I'll put it up in the show notes and watch it. 
But this, you know, kind of struck a chord with me at this point in time, very specifically, because I'm doing all these things for my movie where I'm learning about makeup, I'm learning about effects, I'm learning how to shoot and light things uh, to accentuate those effects and make them effective effects. <laughs> and uh, so this is really cool to watch because I'm beginning to understand the process a little bit more. So thank you, McPierce, for sending that over. Now, I also saw a trailer for a movie called Dead Genesis. This is one uh, I've actually been following and hearing about for a while now. And we got a trailer, um, and the trailer looks okay. Um, actually, probably the best thing about it was the audio. The audio was great. The sound design was, was really well done. But, uh, you know, all in all, it's a low-budget movie, as you would expect. If a zombie movie is coming out nowadays, unless it's Zombieland or something like that, or another 28 Days Later movie, then uh, it's probably going to be low budget. But uh, the zombies, eh, you know, they were okay, but but then to me they started to look kind of dumb. Because it's like the makeup in one of the shots was actually pretty ridiculous, and I caught it. Maybe not everybody will catch this, but I caught it, and it really bothered me. Um, they were trying to make it look like part of the upper lip of a zombie was missing, and then you could see the teeth inside. But... All they did was paint some white teeth onto the upper lip of the actor. And it looks really dumb. So I don't know who they think that they were trying to fool there. Maybe maybe I was the only one to catch it. Who knows? But um, the official website plays... Um, when you get onto the official website, it plays sounds automatically. And I couldn't find where to turn them off. To me, that's like just as bad as having ads all over your site. Oh, I just hate when... Audio plays automatically, and especially if you can't turn it off. But any of that stuff, it's terrible. So I didn't even stick around to find out more about the movie because I was extremely annoyed. But yeah, yeah, I'll put that link up uh, where you can at least watch the trailer on the website. That's Dead Genesis. Whoop-de-doo. Uh, yeah, let's talk about something else. <laughs>
All right, well, last week on the podcast, I reviewed Ashton Memorial, which is book two of a zombie trilogy by Robert R. Best. I am talking with Rob right now. We're Skyping it right now. Mr. Best, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And I hope you can rest assured knowing that one of the reasons that I'm doing fantastic is because I got to read Ashton Memorial. Oh, oh I don't know about that. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. So this well, this just came out uh, in the past few weeks here. I mean, it was yeah. r- real uh, not long ago. And uh, what's, what's the response been so far? It's been pretty positive. Um, I'm not sure yet what the numbers are, but it seems to be selling. And everyone I sent, you know, I sent out little um, little pre-release copies to a few pe- people, and everyone seems to have liked it who got it. So it's been been pretty pop positive so far. Been happy with it. Awesome, awesome. Now it, it just it seems like you took it up a level and just I mean with the action, with the drama, you were you were deeper exploring the relationships in here. First of all, I mean you're you're great. I love your pace. You you have such a fast pace. And oh, thank uh, you. is that how how hard is that to do to keep that up and uh, do you ever second guess yourself and say, Well maybe maybe they won't be able to keep up here. I mean, is that is that an issue? Well, Sometimes, yeah, I did get concerned that some of the action scenes were maybe going on a bit long, but I decided to leave it. But, yeah, there were some action sequences that were longer than anything in Lakewood. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they moved along at a good clip, and they felt exciting, so I decided to keep them. And I was concerned about there's more... Um, there is slightly more down downtime in this book, where you get a little more breather room to learn about the characters and their relationships with each other before it goes back up into another big action uh, set piece. So I was a little concerned about that because Lakewood was very direct and nonstop. I was concerned that maybe people wouldn't like a, a did dick dick differently paced book, but everyone seems to really like it. So. Yeah, you know what I think that accomplished is that uh, I think it intensified the moments of action. Because when you have those lows there, when you have a little period of rest and you're taking a breather, then you go back into the action. And I think just in comparison, when they're relative to each other, it really intensifies the, the intense scenes, the action scenes. Like, it was so cinematic to me. Like, I think I mentioned this to you. I, I, I felt like I was watching a movie in my head yes. while I was reading this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm really happy to hear someone say that because that's pretty much the way I, I write. You know, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I had my Super 8 cam- camera, and I used to make my little short films and all that. So I'm kind of coming from that background of being a film lover as well as a book lover. So... A lot of times, that's how I'm seeing it in my head as I'm writing it. Mm. Oh, you you could tell, and and the scenes, you know, I'm thinking of scenes where, and I'm I'm gonna try not to give much away here because there's there's a lot of different reveals and things going okay. on. But uh, you know, like uh, the scene with the barrels, you know, when they they just got to the zoo, right. and uh-huh. uh, that's that's one of them that just I'm playing this out in my head, and it just seems larger than life, and it doesn't seem I'm not talking about over the top and ridiculous and unbelievable i'm mm-hmm. talking like i'm thinking i'm watching a big budget action flick you know 
It uh, is just amazing. And I think it's your skill in writing, the way that you accomplished that. Um, so how challenging was it to take it up a level from Lakewood? Was it, uh, did you feel a lot of pressure to, to kind of deliver well, on this? I did. I, it's the first time I've ever written a sequel to anything. And the first time, like when I was writing Lakewood, no one was really expecting it or gave, gave much of a crap if it came out or not. <laughs> I mean, Doc did because I told him about it, but no one had read it yet or anything. And then everyone read Lakewood, and then they were looking forward to Ashton. And I was very con conscious of that and trying not to let that influence me because... I tried very hard to make this book not not Lakewood, mm. um, and I was a little concerned about that because in the back of my head I was thinking, you know, everyone seemed to like Lakewood. I don't know if you want to mess with that, but I tried hard to push through that, and um, I want and I did try to deliver on having bigger action scenes, deeper character interactions, and all of that. So I did kind of have to push myself outside of where I was. Um, more uh, comfortable with writing to try to get some of this deeper and bigger stuff, but it seems to have worked okay so far. So yeah, yeah, I, I really think it did because I did. You know, talking about the the deeper character development, I loved where you went with Angie and with the kids, and then mm -hmm. with Park. I mean, I think it was just beautiful the way that you connected Park with what was going on inside the zoo. And uh, that whole relationship there. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me about that. How how uh, did you know that things were kind of gonna go this way? Like maybe back when you were writing Lakewood, or did you were you just kind of making it up as you went? I had a rough idea of where where it was gonna go. Park briefly mentions in Ashton having two daughters mm. that he hasn't seen in, in a long time. I mean, he briefly mentions it in Lakewood, sorry. And um, so I had that in mind. As far as the specifics of it, I didn't have it quite worked out. But I did have a rough idea that Ashton was going to focus a little more on Park's story. Mm. And I, I love that. And at the same time, you know, you, you still deepened like I said, Angie and Maylee and Dalton, uh, yeah, you really, man, they're they're really, really coming to life here. Um, a lot of things you explored. Thank you. I'm 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 happy to hear that because I wanted it. I wanted the characters at the end of this one to seem different from where at the end of the last one. I mm. didn't want it to feel like they'd stayed the same. Yeah, yeah, and that's you. You get the the sense that they've been thrust into this world, this very very confusing world now where the dead are getting up they're mm -hmm. attacking people and yeah. all of a sudden they're they can't be kids anymore they can't survive being kids anymore they don't really have a choice so right they have yeah. to grow up really quick and i love mm -hmm. the dynamic of angie then being the mother and having these kids she basically expects them to still be kids but right they can't yes. be yeah. they have to change exactly. and yeah. uh you 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 did that so exactly. well. There's a lot of tension there, especially as Maylee continues to try to step up to kind of, if not take charge, at least help. And Angie is constantly pushing back against that. Because in her mind, she's, she's still a kid. And she is, but the world that's developed, like you said, kind of doesn't allow for kids much mm -hmm. anymore. 
Right, right. And That's part of the tragedy of the book, and there's some stuff that happens with Park's kids that I don't want to give too much away, but there is definitely that, that, that aspect of the world isn't much of a forgiving place anymore. Yeah, and here is something else that is, I just found it so interesting, and i got to ask you if this is something from experience or, or just something you kind of thought would be a, a good uh, plot uh, line here, is the whole thing, the whole subplot of the Keepers. And oh, yes. That whole thing. Now, tell me about uh -huh. that. You know, basically, for, for those who haven't read the book, you know, the Keepers, they're the workers in the zoo, and mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like they have this uh, really tight-knit, almost uh, fraternal kind of uh, attitude about uh -huh. their duty as being keepers, and then when the dead rise, it even it intensifies. So uh, give me some background on that. That was really interesting. Well, um, when I first kind of pitched the idea to Laura, you know, I was just telling her what I had in mind. I described it as Lord of the Flies in a zoo with, with um, zombies. Mm -hmm. So so there's a bit of that kind of people begin to divide up in um, kind of tribes and groups that are fighting against each other within kind of the artificial na nature construct of the um, zoo, which I, I thought that was kind of interesting to have this where it's like they're being all primal and back to nature, but the nature they're surrounded by is fake. You know, it's not it's not real. Mm. But um, there was also an element of, I forget the name of the experiment, there's an infamous um, psychological experiment where they divided some college students into, like, um, guards and prisoners. And they had to cancel the experiment because within just like a day or two, the way I, I understand it, the two groups started to take their roles very, very seriously, especially wow. the guards. And they got really um, violent and dismissive about the, the prisoners, even though the prisoners hadn't actually done anything. Hmm. It was just that they took on these roles so quickly and there, there's an element of that in there, too, where these people who prior to this, their job was just to kind of keep the animals safe and fed and make sure everything went okay with the visitors to the zoo. Within the space of just a couple days, they've kind of become this army that feels like they're almost running the place. Right. So there's some of that, too. That That's something that you... Uh, something that played out throughout the whole book was how quickly uh, people turn, you know, and just mm -hmm. how uh, when something huge like this happens, people all of a sudden just go nuts. You know, we, yeah. before they got to the zoo, they ran into a couple people on the street that were just yes. absolutely bonkers. And then you get into the zoo and it's even worse. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really like how you touched on kind of the dark side of man and, uh, and really really brought that out that was a big theme oh thanks that that's something i wonder a lot about of just how long it would take for society to fall apart if there wasn't really anything to keep it together mm -hmm. and i guess the answer of the book is not very long at all really right. just a few few days to a week yeah um so yeah that was an element that i wanted to explore more and to kind of broaden the focus of the book which lakewood was very 
intensely focused on just a handful of characters in that book, mm. and I wanted this to pull back a bit and have a broader view of what was going on in the zoo with the with um, the characters, but still kind of keep the focus on the main kind of original four, and then right. kind of a a smaller group of new characters, which I think there's three or four or so. Mm-hmm were kind of main new characters in the book. So that was kind of a bit of a challenge to keep it from getting too broad to where you lost the focus on the original group, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but still broadening the, the focus. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was a bit concerned uh, at the beginning because you set the scene in the zoo, kind of what's going on, and, and right as the zombie outbreak is happening, of course, uh, you know, you have all the workers and all the people, so you do, you introduce a lot of people there for a little while, but that quickly gets whittled down to where you only really need to be paying attention and to remember just a certain few of them. Right, yeah, and that's something, and that's really just a weakness of mine. When I'm reading a book, I have a hard time keep, keeping track of who everyone is, especially if there's a lot of characters. Yeah. So I work hard to focus it down to as few as po- po- possible, and I even go so far as to try to make sure that no one has a name that starts with the same letter, uh, to try to keep it as clear as I can who everyone is. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying I always keep up with that. I think there were a couple of examples. I can't think of them now, but it might have been in Lakewood or Ashton where there's another character that has a name that starts with a D, and that's kind of the same as Dalton. But for the most part, I try to. I work hard to make sure there's as few as possible. If I find any character whose job in the story can really be handled by a character who's already there, I'll cut that character and try to compress their storyline into one that's already there. I do stuff like that to try to try to keep it as tight as I can. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a problem at all, because that's, that's a big thing with me, too. Like, please give me the bare minimum of characters, because well, yeah. my memories is, you know, it's it's terrible as it is. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, and, and something, uh, it, it's almost like an art form here. You have, uh, I love, it was a parallel that you were drawing, and uh, it, it's the kind of thing where you could kind of say something by uh, by making parallels, and what I'm talking about here is is kind of uh, you drew a parallel between man versus man and man versus zombie, especially um, the people are all trapped in the zoo, and the keepers have uh, taken the restaurant as their own, and they have control over it yes. because they want control of the food, and uh, they're rationing things out as they see mm-hmm. fit. And we have uh, we have a couple scenes in there actually where. The keepers are inside, but the people who are outside, they're demanding food. They're trying to break in, and the keepers have barricaded themselves in. So it's almost right. like we're seeing a zombie scene, but without any zombies. Everybody is living. and that That is a really good point. I'm not sure I ever thought of that before. <laughs> that makes me sound smarter than I actually am. So I'm going to claim to have meant that. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a subconscious thing, I'm sure. you had It, yes. it was all there. Um, but no, I thought that was, it was just like, it was almost poetic to me because I'm like, wow, that's, that's a really cool kind of thing. So no, great job on that. Great job. Thank you. And, uh, you went to a little bit of territory here now that, um, you hadn't touched on in Lakewood and, uh, you, you were trying kind of a few new things and, uh, I don't think these, uh, this one, anyhow, I won't, I won't give any, everything away. 
But, uh, of course, you, you brought animals into it, but n nobody out there should jump to conclusions as far as uh, how, how the animals are involved. But I, I really liked it. I really did. It, uh, oh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you like it. It's broadening the mythology a bit, and I was a little concerned how people would like that. Yeah. Um, but, again, everyone seems to be po positive so, so far. So mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, another thing was, uh, and this is more specific, is that uh, at one point one of the zombies are, are killed, or, or maybe it was more than one, I can't remember now, uh, with electricity, I think towards the beginning uh -huh. of the book. Um, yes. And it, it made me think of, uh, of course, like Return of the Living Dead Part 2, you know, it, uh, the right. whole end of that, which is great. Yes. But, right. um, no, that kind of makes sense. It, uh, now, it wasn't really brought up again the, uh, later in the book. It just happened, like, I think that one time. Um, yeah. Now, is that something? Again, we don't see a lot of that. Um, so, it, it, was that like a conscious <sighs> thing? Like, I'm going to use electricity here and see, you know, see how that sticks. I think I was, I was mainly just trying to come up with other things that would at least hurt the brain. I think that that's really the idea. Just anything yeah. that'll da damage the brain sufficiently will put them down. Um, that sequence actually was a leftover from Lakewood that I couldn't make fit. Oh, really? So, um, not necessarily the whole um, gas station scene, mm -hmm. but that thing with um, the electricity in uh, the bathroom mm -hmm. thing yeah, was an yeah. idea I had back when I was first working on Lakewood. And just as the story started to develop, it just didn't fit in anywhere. Just speaking of so, the gas station scene, oh, man, <laughs> I loved it. Um, because you you had the the electrocution in the bathroom, which is I, I loved how you set that all up. Then you have um, I think was it Angie outside who was swinging the uh, gas hose. The, the gas hose. That yeah. was brilliant. I love. I think my notes said um, gas hose few foo or something like that. Oh my gosh! That was one of my notes for that scene. I, I was actually trying to avoid using fire because there's so much fire in Lakewood. Uh so I was trying to think of something other than fire that you could use to fight them, and that was all I could think of. Oh, but I'm glad you liked that, because I was concerned about that. I thought that might be a little over the top. Dude, that was so original. Like, I've never seen that before, never heard of that before. And now it's like, it was such a great image, too. And it, the way you, you depicted it and described it, it just, the, the picture I had in my head was just so awesome during that whole thing. Yeah, it would be. I would like to see that in a film of her just swinging that over her head and knocking yeah. the zombie side. That would be great. But oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> it was really just because I didn't want to use fire because um, mm. I was trying to avoid that. Which that, That's another thing. Um, Lakewood had, had a lot of fire, so I was intentionally trying to avoid that just to kind of make sure this book had a different tone, even down to that level. So there's a bunch of fire in the first chapter that's kind of the wrap-up of Lakewood. And then after that, there's no fire at all. Mm. And it's all uh, water because it's raining constantly. And there's water in the bathroom, and it's just it's water all the time. Wow. That, uh, that was an intentional thing, but it kind of got stuck there because the gas station scene, the obvious choice, kind of the first idea I had was that Angie would light some gas on fire. But mm. then I couldn't do that, so I had to kind of think of something else, and that was all I could think of. Oh, 
Good call. Good call. Because, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, fire wouldn't have held a candle to that. That was, that was <laughs> awesome. So, and another thing, I had to ask you this. I made a note of this one specifically because I got such a kick out of this. Now, Park is inside the inside the convenience store part of the gas station, mm-hmm. and he's struggling with a zombie in there. And it, he happens upon the magazine rack that, uh, you know, has some <laughs> racy magazines on there. And the right, one that sure. you, you mentioned specifically... <laughs> Is is a magazine called Drunk and Willing. Now, <laughs> now is this? I'm not going to Google anything like this. No, um, so I have I, to ask you: Is I this? Is this? That a, oh, <laughs> I hope it's not real. I just made it up as a joke. But yeah, you know, kind of those really skeevy magazines you never heard of before. You see on the gas station rack. Oh my gosh! Like, eh, I don't know about that one, but you know. When you see it there, not when you're buying it, of course. When you're, you know, oh, of course, you're checking out. You see it behind the counter. <laughs> oh my god! But gosh. yeah, I just made that one up. That was brilliant. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> oh man, but it, it's just stuff like this. I felt like you just, man, you you kept it creative the whole time. You had great zombie kills and just interspersed with, with intense action. You brought it down, you, and then you took it back up again. It was like a, a, a big old roller coaster ride, and uh, and then the ending. Of course, like I said, I don't want to spoil anything for for anyone mm-hmm. out there who hasn't read this yet. But uh, the ending was a shocker. I mean, even after the big climax, you have another reveal shocker at the end, and oh, then yeah. your boom cliffhanger. So yeah. you not only ended this book, you you resolved you know, the overarching plot that's in this book alone. But you did the same thing to me that you did at the end of Lakewood. And it's like, <laughs> okay, Rob, yeah, when's the next sorry. one coming out? Hopefully soon, because I need it. <laughs> well, the goal is to have it out by basic late summer of next year. So it's going to be, be, be a year to have it in time for Horror Realm 2011. Sweet. And that'll be it. But that will not have a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> That will resolve <laughs> everything. But yeah. Yeah, yeah I was I was kinda concerned about that because basically it's not only at the very end, it's in like the last page or something, or half a page. You get this sun reveal and then the book is done. So mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But I'm not gonna give anything away, but everyone watch out for that. Oh man, I can't wait. Oh, <laughs> that was so good. So how tell me what was different about writing Ashton as opposed to the whole process in Lakewood. Now of course, you know, Lakewood was your uh, what your your first uh, horror novel, mm-hmm. and uh, so that uh, that was I'm sure a, a huge experience, and we talked about that back in the day. Um, so what changed now with Ashton? Were things easier going for you this time around? Did you kind of know what to expect? Well, a little bit, but it was also harder. I had a lot less time. Uh, I'm used to being kind of lazy and taking months off at a time when I'm writing something. Mm. And this, I had a year to get it done and get it to dock, or really less than a year, um, to get it finished and to dock and edit it and everything. Um, And this book was also longer than Lakewood. I think it's almost twice the size, or maybe a little over twice, I'm not sure. But um, it's longer, it's bigger, and I had less time to do it, so... There was a little more kind of off-the-cuff writing. I out, I outlined it, but some stuff kind of changed as I was doing it, which happens all the time. Mm. But I didn't have as much time as I did in Lakewood to kind of pour over everything and make sure it all fit before I started. Mm. So that was a little tricky, 
but I think it all came together in the end. Um, Laura, my wife, did an excellent job of editing it because the book I gave her was a lot more raw than Lakewood was. When I gave her the kind of the initial draft to edit and read, mm. so she did a great job, kind of tightening things up and polishing up the the uh, writing and removing any grammar errors or punctuation errors, which is stuff that I, especially when I'm writing really really fast, I'll just uh. forget to put period. <laughs> Or something in there, and she has a great eye. She's able to spot that. Nice. So she went over it and gave it back to me, and I kind of went over it again and then gave it back to her. And we had to do that more quickly than we did for Lakewood too. So basically, the scene here for Ashton was having a lot, a lot less time. Wow. So I'm glad it worked. So did did you think overall then you performed a little better under the the pressure of the time constraints and maybe the expectations here oh. as opposed to Lakewood? Maybe so, but it drove me nuts a little bit, too. I got uh, kind of stressed out doing this. Uh, yeah. And maybe that's just... Uh, Ashton is considerably darker in parts, I think, mm. oh, which yeah. was another thing I was concerned about, how people would take that. But some of that kind of got to me after a while, especially some of the stuff that happens in the back third of the book. Mm. Um, yeah. It gets kind of dark and depressing. And that, I think, kind of... there's. There's one character scene in particular. It's the only time I've ever killed off a character that I felt actually sad afterwards. Oh, I or know what you mean. Rarely when I kill off a character, I, I'm thinking of it more in terms of how it affects the story. And so I can tell, I think, okay, that was an effective scene. It served the story well. But this was the first time that I actually felt sad afterwards and shaken after killing off a character. I'm not going to say who. That, um, that was huge. I have to say, I didn't mm -hmm. see it coming at all, and it had a huge impact. So I think that was a good decision, even though I, I was the same as you. I was sad to see this character go. Yeah, she, or um, he, or she, really came to life in the, the writing of the book. Um, so, and they knew beforehand that they were going to die. I yeah. felt kind of sad, <laughs> but I think it ultimately helps with the story because mm -hmm. it helps with, with the development of one of the other characters, the arc that they go through. Exactly, exactly. So it had to happen, but it was sad. Yeah, yeah. But that's, it's every great story out there, I mean, that's what you have. I mean, you, you really get me to care about one of the characters, and then you yank them away from me. Uh -huh. You know, and that's you manipulate emotions. You're a professional emotion manipulator. I guess that's true. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but no, it was a great ride. Just a great ride, man. So congratulations on that. A job well done. Thank you. So, what are you doing now? Are you thinking about the third one? I mean, obvi well, obviously yes. you are, but I mean, how how much thought have you actually put pen to paper yet, or, or not yet? I'm outlining hmm. the third book, which will more than likely be called World Memorial, which Ooh. will take things back to a smaller rural setting, but it's set several years after the events of Lakewood and Ashton, so the world has had more time to kind of descend into a true post-apocalyptic thing. Mm. Um, the main characters who survived Ashton will be back 
Um, we're going to broaden the mythology even more and get into what the implications are of the reveal at the end of Ashton. Nice. Um, that's really all I can give away. I've started doing the outlining, though, and it's com- com- coming along. So Beautiful, beautiful. I, I can't wait, man. This is... Uh this is really something that's taken me on on a ride, and I can't wait to to actually go back to to Lakewood because actually maybe before I I read the the third one here at, you know in uh, over a year, you know mm-hmm. I'll probably hopefully go back through and take that ride all over again and then be ready for the third book because it all it's all fitting together so well. It's like a big oh good, I'm glad to hear someone say that because I was concerned about that too. Mm. Because I had a rough idea of the overall storyline, but not necessarily all of these specific parts. So mm-hmm. and, and, I hope it all fits. And you're still growing as a writer, you know. I mean, there was, I, I could tell that uh, maybe you were a little more comfortable in your shoes this time around and that you were willing to take a few more chances uh, with a lot of the things that you did. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I just saw a huge development, not to take anything away from Lakewood by any means, because oh, no. that's, that's a great book, but, you know, you're, man, you're honing your craft very, very well. So, oh, thank you. And I was trying to take, I was just trying to take Rick's in Ashton, mm. because I didn't want to play it safe. I didn't want this... My big fear was that this would be a sequel where it was just kind of the same thing all all over again, mm-hmm. which some sequels will do will do that. So I was working at every point to try to sub subvert or change things that were too much like Lakewood. Yeah, yeah. So fantastic, fantastic. Uh, yeah. What else are you up to? What else are you up to? I know uh, you're still podcasting and you're still. Just doing all kinds of stuff. What's, uh, what's yes, going on? Yes, yeah, yeah. We I, we have a podcast. Um, myself, my wife Laura, um, Zombie Farmer, um, who you might have heard on some other shows. Oh yeah. Um, Darkwing Manus from the Library of the Living Dead uh, forums, and he's shown up on other podcasts too. And Brad, mm-hmm. um, Brad um, Ziprich who also has a book coming out from Library of the Living Dead before too awful long, I think. Nice. Um, we all have a kind of general genre movie review show called Don't uh, Don't Look in the Podcast, awesome. which you can find on iTunes. Um, we're going to take a bit of a break over the summer, but we will be back in the fall. Um, I'm going to try to start doing some more movie reviews and stuff, um, if not from my site, Maybe for the Corpse Cub Collective. Oh, sweet. Um, which um, I've got some notes. I've been watching some movies to try to, to get some re- reviews done. Because that's something I was doing on my old site a few years ago. And then I kind of fell off of doing that. But um, the Corpse Collective is the perfect outlet to do some more of that. Yeah. So Yeah, there's, there's a lot of great stuff going up there. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, so far, I've only put one little sad-ass thing on there, but I'm going to try to add more. Um, You're doing better than me because I've put zero posts oh, in there. Yeah, and, uh, but you, like, built the website. So Well, oh, yeah, yeah, but originally, Mike, there. originally, I don't think that was even part of the plan. Originally, I think Mike was just like, hey, we're doing this website. Do you want to be one of the contributors? And I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. sign me up. And then I think as we kept, you know, planning, uh, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll build the site, too. 
And then I built the site, and then it's just like I walked away. <laughs> so. But yeah, I'm going to be doing some of that. Um, I'm going to try to get back into some short stories. Cool. Um, I, you know, for a long time, I couldn't write short stories at all. And I kind of forced myself to learn how to do it because that was sort of the thing you needed to promote yourself as a writer. You had to have some stories to shop around. Mm, yeah. And then I ended up collecting those into the All Contents Kill anthology. And after that, I've written a couple for a few of the Long Highway of the Living Dead anthologies, and that's all I've done. So I want to try to write a few more short stories. Um, I have an idea for a werewolf novel that will probably be the next thing after the third book. I'm nice. not sure. I've, I've got some stuff lined up. Cool. Cool. Well, man, I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank man, you. If, if, if you can do anything near what you've done so far with, uh, with your zombie trilogy here so far, it's, uh, it's going to be great. So, well, thanks. I cannot wait. And no, I still haven't read your short stories at all yet, of course. Oh, that's... Because I'm just lazy. And, oh, know. that's no problem. Although, <laughs> actually, this would be a good time to promote the new edition of All Kinds of Things Kill. Oh, I've heard about this. I think it was mentioned just, on Twitter just a couple came times. Out. Yes, it just came out from Library of Horror Press, which is, um, you know, the sister imprint to Library of the Living Dead. Mm -hmm. You can find that on Amazon. It's called All Kinds of Things Kill, the Dead Librarian Edition. It contains the original stories, plus um, three new ones, plus a whole bunch of what were referred to on the Library of the Living Dead forums as Chapter 10s, nice. which you'll kind of have to read to see what that's about. But Yeah, I remember I yeah. talked to you about the Chapter 10s uh, before and that's great. I, yes. I love that. So, so I've expanded a handful of those and some new ones. So, that's currently on Amazon also. So beautiful, beautiful. And I heard some rumblings about possible uh, audio versions of uh, stories from all yes. kinds of things. Kill. Well, yeah, we did um, a audio book of the original release, and those were played on the Library of the Living Dead po podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, we're thinking of making a handful of uh, CDs to give away with all the copies we sell at Horror Realm. Ooh. So it won't it won't be anything fancy. It'll just be a hand you know written C CDR in a plain case, but it'll have um, as many of the stories that'll fit on one disc. But, and, but that's cool. It's like yeah. You know, you guys hand-lettered these CDs. You know, it's not just like... Oh, that's true. It's not yeah. like some guy burned these. You know, this is yeah. straight from you. So that's awesome. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. So, and Horror Realm, now that you mention it, uh, I'm so excited for it. Um, there's just going to be a ton of stuff oh, going yeah. on there. And to be able to hook up with you guys again and just uh, to see <laughs> yeah, everyone. Yes. Man. Man. Uh, last year was so was so much fun. That was actually the first horror convention that Laura or I had ever been to. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to any since or? or you uh, just... Yes, there was one in St. Louis that this was their first year called um, Contamination. Okay. C O N dash Tamination, and um, that was a lot of fun. And since we're 
not quite locals. We live about two hours away, but we lived in St. Louis four years. And actually, to go, to go back to Ashton, the St. Louis Zoo is the rough model for the zoo in Ashton. Oh, okay. Sort of. um, Interesting. But uh, we went up there, and, I mean, you know, it, it was a small convention because it was just the first year, but they had a lot of cool stuff, nice. and it was a lot of fun. So I recommend everyone check it out next year. Oh, absolutely. Out for it. Yeah. Well, you know, I like the smaller conventions. You know, like Horror Realm was great. I love yes. the size of yeah. it. And um, mm-hmm. Cinema Wasteland is another one that's like that. That's one I've always wanted to go to. I've never been able to. Ooh, well, another one. I think it's in uh, it's in the fall here. Real, uh, okay. At some point, they're having another one. But, uh, yeah, and it's like uh, those smaller ones. Because, you know, I've been to some of the horror hounds, you know, and the things in, in mm-hmm. huge convention centers. And, you know, it's cool and everything. There's a lot to see there. But it's almost, I, I feel, uh, I, don't, I don't feel like it's as personal, you know. Right. And, uh, right. And I'd imagine you get kind of overwhelmed by yeah. everything there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's like everyone was so excited about Comic-Con, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, man. That was be. And, you know, sure, I would love to go there. But it's like, would I really? You know what I? What I? I mean, how many thousands and thousands of people were there? there? Yeah, I hear reports from Com Comic Con. You know, every year when different like podcasts and stuff will go, and they're talking about how it took them like twenty minutes to even just walk across the room. Some, yeah. You know, because it's so packed. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it would kind of work against the experience of the con itself. Oh, after yeah. a while. Oh, yeah. But it, to me, it's just like there is nothing like like at Horror Realm last year. I was <laughs> clear on one end of the room talking with Ken Foray, and uh-huh. you could hear somebody screaming over at Doctor Puss's table. Yes. You know, clear on the other side of the room. We're not screaming, but <laughs> you know, you could you could hear them talking, yes. and that's that's how right. intimate this setting is, and that's you know, yeah, that's what I'm into. I, I like to, yeah, yeah, so. Well, awesome, man. Well, I can't wait to see you and Laura there this year. And uh, Yes, man, I can't wait to see you. That'll be awesome. going to be a blast. So everyone should go out by Ashton Memorial, by Lakewood Memorial if you haven't, because that's uh, you, you got to read that first. And uh, yeah. that's, that's all I got. Anything else going on here that you want to mention before we close things out? Nope, I think we've covered everything. So awesome. thanks a lot for having me on the show. Rob, thanks for taking your time today to do this. This is great. No problem. Man, I uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon. Yep, I hope so. All right, thank you, sir. Thanks. Go ahead, Charlie. Me? There it goes. What the fuck? Here we go, review of beers from Brian in Colorado. Hey, Corey, there was no review of beers for last week's show because I was in Ohio suffering through my 40th high school reunion. It may interest your listeners to know that there actually were high schools 40 years ago and the kids there were cool and listened to rock and roll music. In fact, Keith Richards looked much the same back then, but that's a different story. I was excited to revisit home because I'd only been to Cleveland once since I left. I was amazed to discover that most of the town was exactly the same as when I moved away. The land that time forgot still serves the same commercial beers that I used to steal back in the 60s. It's as if the microbrew revolution never happened. 
At the reunion, I had one beer. I won't mention the brand. Suffice it to say that the beer was every bit as old and tired as the poor folks that made the trek to the reunion gathering. Pale, flat, what a disappointment. Hey, wait, am I talking about the beer or the guy in the mirror? On a real news, morbid sort of side note, the reunion committee passed out a list of classmates who'd already died, 28 of them. As I stared at the list, mouth open in horror, my wife leaned in and whispered, you might be next. Gotta love that woman. Two nights of dinner out and a reunion party had me near despair over the beer situation. Great Lakes Brewery had a wheat beer in some of the bars, but it's not very good, and I wanted something with hops in it to kickstart my flagging enthusiasm. And then, my last night there, I found my answer. 21st Amendment Brewery is a San Francisco microbrewery that distributes to some coastal states, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. The company began as a brew pub founded by Nico Freccia and Sean O'Sullivan. Freccia was a writer and an actor. O'Sullivan was a paralegal. These two unconventional owners began an unconventional microbrewery, celebrating the tradition of local breweries. Prior to Prohibition, there were more than 40 local breweries outside San Francisco. These businesses were gathering places where people met to exchange ideas and debate politics. Then in stepped the government. Today, 21st Century Amendment, named after the Constitutional Amendment that repealed Prohibition, sells some mighty fine beers. I spotted the IPA on the drink menu at the Wooster Inn, a small restaurant near a golf course. In near despair, I gave it a shot, though I'd never heard of the brewery. The beer arrived looking a little flat and very yellow. I was not impressed. Then I took a sip. The heavens opened up and angels began to sing. Rain clouds, my constant companion in Ohio, parted long enough to let a single shaft of sunlight through, spotlighting this tiny glass of utopian ale. 21st Amendment IPA is an American-style IPA with a bright citrus flavor, sweet with a blast of piney hops. The beer finishes with a bitterness that rivals the best IPAs. Dry, but soft enough for real drinkability. I confess to having consumed several. The beer I tried came from a keg. I understand that the brewery also ships beers in cans. I don't know how good the cans are, but I can vouch for the stuff from the tap. On the Midnight Cory scale, I give 21st Amendment IPA a grateful nine. I could have died happy right there in the bar. And I'd have been number 29, Brian in Colorado. What are you going to do with that gun? You must leave here at once. Did you kill Judge Bowman? He killed himself. Dad, why did you do it? Are you going to throw this miracle away only for a cheap revenge? Not revenge, retribution. But why anything? Isn't your mere presence a lie, rebuke enough? You only have to show yourself and the world will beg your forgiveness. Not this world of savage cruelty. We gave them wings to fly and they rained death on us. We gave them a voice to be heard around the world, and they preach hatred to poison the minds of nations. Even the medicine we gave them to ease their pain is turned into a vice to enslave half mankind for the profit of a few. Lord Janet, dear, don't you see? Every gift that science has given them has been twisted into a thing of hate and greed. But not this one. That instrument is perfect, the secret of eternity. But it dies with me. After I've made them pay for all they made me suffer. The shame, the months in prison, the hopelessness, the hideous waiting, knowing the exact hour and moment of the end. 
I kill the man I was. All that's left is the will to hate and to destroy. Now go. Ooh, Boris Karloff, the man that they could not hang. Oh, we're reaching the end of the 30s here. This is 1939, the third zombie, quote, zombie movie that Boris Karloff was involved in. And uh, this is from Columbia. Now, uh, this is uh, the third different studio that Karloff worked with to do these zombie movies. So it was Columbia's turn to have a stab at the whole zombie thing. And uh, this was actually low budget for the time. I don't think Columbia was really um, as heavy a hitter as like Paramount and Warner Brothers were back in the day. But this, you know, this is a great example of the way Hollywood operates because we get a great original independent film that comes out and does fairly well, which in this case was White Zombie. Then Hollywood notices this, gets dollar signs in their eyes, and they snatch up the idea and they transform it to try to appeal to the lowest common denominator because, hey, the more people that can appreciate the movie, the more people that are going to buy tickets. And they effectively ruin the whole concept and the whole coolness of everything. So, you know, what I'm saying is Hollywood has been Hollywood since film hit the mainstream, which was like 100 years ago. <laughs> you know, It was just as bad back then as it is now. I think it's just more visible and uh, it's more kind of in, in people's minds at this point, And obviously on a much larger scale because Hollywood has grown from, in leaps and bounds since the 1930s, obviously. So, but you know what? Hollywood has always been Hollywood. And that's what we see right here as far as the whole zombie thing goes. Now, Karloff plays a scientist who has just perfected this method of bringing the dead back to life by the means of some crazy artificial heart, which is a big machine with a lot of glass tubes and it spins around and things like that. I don't know. It's your typical science that makes no sense in these movies. I love it. Actually, it's, it's great. Um, so he talks a medical student into agreeing to uh, die and then have Karloff bring him back to life. But, unfortunately, the police raid the laboratory just after Karloff killed the student and was about to bring him back. So, of course, he's jailed for murder and sentenced to the electric chair. Does that sound familiar? Hmm. Well, his assistant uh, at the time has been learning all these techniques along the way. He gets Karloff's body and brings him back to life using this method. And after that, Karloff is bent on revenge on the people responsible for his execution, which includes the judge, the jury, the DA, etc., etc. Does that sound familiar, too? Hmm. Well, you know, Karloff, he's back from the dead, and it's so funny, actually. It's actually kind of cool because uh, he's very arrogant and very cocky because he's like, hey, I'm dead. I can do whatever I want. So, you know, he's calculating in his revenge scheme and he just he, he goes crazy throughout the movie. He really does. Um, we see six of the jurors that reportedly hung themselves, quote, hung themselves. And uh, and then we pick up with the action after that. He sends a series of forged court documents to get all the rest of them together, including the judge and the D.A. and everybody into uh, his house into Karloff's house all at the same time. And then through a series of all these crazy things that he's done to rig up the house, he tells them that they're all about to die. And he tells them why. And uh, so they got to figure out how to escape from this house. And he's like, electrify the doors and done all this crazy stuff to, to kill them. Now, there were a couple of the jurors that he spared. 
because they defended him up to the very end where they were just, oh, just they gave in from exhaustion. Um, they, they caved to the rest of the jury and voted to have him executed um, because nobody believed that he would be able to do this. He knew he could. He knew he could bring this guy back from the dead, but nobody else believed him. And so now that he came back, he's like, look, look, it was possible you were all wrong, so you're all going to die. <laughs> and the funny thing is, Karloff looks exactly the same. He can talk. He can do everything. He just looks like another human being. He just came back from the dead. So there's no makeup, really, to speak of. There's no gore, no violence, nothing. Um, actually, I was getting a very Vincent Price sort of feel from Karloff in this one, which was really, really cool, I think. You know, I kept thinking of House on Haunted Hill, although that didn't come out for a long time after this. Um, but yeah, just the way Karloff acted in this, he was very cold and very calculating, and he had that accent, and he was just oh, really, really good. But uh, I, I kept getting that feel, and I think that's probably a reason why I ended up liking this movie overall, because I, I got a very Vincent Price kind of feel, and I love Vincent Price. But at first, I wasn't sure about the movie, you know. I, I felt like we kind of missed out on a lot of the action because they show nothing about those six jurors dying. You know, they hung themselves, supposedly, but they only refer to it and talk about it. And I, f I felt like I was just going to see another Walking Dead where we didn't get a whole lot. Um, but fortunately, in the third act, this thing was really, really great. Once everybody is in the house... It's pretty intense. It's very psychological. You know, we had we had a great feel during this whole thing. The people are panicking. They're trying to plan their survival. And old Karloff's just sitting, looking back on all of this. And he's like, how are you guys going to escape this? So he's like the evil madman overseeing this. Which, of course, you know, is a precursor and a definite inspiration on movies like House on Haunted Hill. Um, Saw, even. I mean, this, this whole thing is a theme, and this, uh, this is really cool. This is one of the first movies, I think, that actually had that kind of thing going on, where you had all of these innocent people trapped in a house, and the evil guy kind of sitting back and controlling it and laying a series of traps, and just uh, basically they're his playthings for his enjoyment, and he's, he's exacting some kind of revenge, or he has some kind of scheme in mind behind all of this. So yeah, yeah, this was a first in that regard. But the thing is, I mean, this is how horror movies and all movies were back in the 30s and 40s. There was kind of this standard that they have that if you saw laws being broken on screen, they had to be shown being punished on screen. The bad guy always had to lose in the end. Good pretty much had to triumph in the end. And uh, so you kind of know that going into the movie. You know at the end the good guys are going to win. You're going to have people surviving. You know, if it was up to me, everybody would die. <laughs> but that's not the way that they did things back in the day. So, you know, it was a little anticlimactic. It had a very, very abrupt ending. Um, but, you know, this was very short. I mean, this was like right around an hour. So they were they were really kind of rushing through a lot of the parts. I think if you would have given it a full 90 minutes, then uh, a lot of it could have played out a little more. You could have showed a little bit more of those first murders or hangings going on. So, yeah. But all in all, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I, I, I was surprised because I'd never heard of this before I started kind of researching all these old zombie movies. 
and I found it very suspenseful and psychological, and of course, Karloff. And, and here I'm beginning to see a trend. You know, I, I've always enjoyed Karloff, but I've never seen his more obscure stuff like this, and I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to realize that, you know, the movies themselves aren't really the best written things in the world or necessarily best produced things in the world. Nor are they necessarily uh, nail biters. You know, they're not necessarily exciting to watch. I mean, this this movie had some great parts. The Ghoul was good. Oh, I got to see The Ghoul again this week on DVD, by the way. I'm just going to add that in there. And it was much better this time around. But despite all that, uh, you know, it, it's always enjoyable to watch mostly because of Karloff. I mean, Karloff just has this presence. He has this character. He is so good. And he ends up being the highlights of all of these movies. So I'm going to rate this with a 7 out of 10. And again, I just can't rate a movie real low with Karloff in it anymore. You know, even the ghoul now goes way up. So, yeah, this was really fun. And, you know, and another thing that I enjoyed that was just kind of inherent in the movie was the whole 1930s thing. Uh, I mean, obviously. I mean, we have this crazy science that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, they're trying to be futuristic. And uh, this artificial heart machine was very cutting edge, I'm sure. Um, but it was its just a lot of crazy glass things, like I said, and a whole big contraption. And it's just fun to see what they could come up with. And uh, all the cars and the way of doing things. It's a fascinating point in our history. And uh, I just, I enjoy seeing that. So yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, The Man They Could Not Hang, if you can find it anywhere, give it a watch. You're going to love Karloff, and you're going to love the whole 30s thing. And uh, it is psychological. It's a fun ride. So check it out if you can. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. All right, we're going to go back uh, to some songs that I wrote about Mr. Bass's planetoid. <laughs> yeah, these are weird ones. I know, I know. But thanks for thanks for listening anyhow. Uh, this one's really different. Um, I actually really like this one. It's a longer one. It's called No Code for That. Um, this comes right after the last one that I played about Mr. Bass's planetoid. We continue in the whole story. But, uh, yeah, this is a lot of acoustic guitar and some weird electric guitar with effects behind it. No percussion to speak of in this one. And um, with uh, different sound effects and some different kind of keyboard beds going on in the background. This was a lot of fun to make. I really liked it. So, here we go. It's no code for that. See? 
Well, that's it. I got to thank Robert R. Best, the man, for talking with me. Make sure you go check out Ashton Memorial. Read Lakewood Memorial before it. Uh, Rob is a great guy, and as you can tell, uh, he's a great writer. So, yeah, yeah, but uh, I really appreciate his time. Um, thank you, everybody, for everything this week, things that you did. Make sure you go and follow me as I make my very first movie, the horror short. It is untitled, and I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about the plot because I kind of want it to be a surprise. Um, but, yeah, you can keep up with the whole production process with me over on YouTube. Of course, the links are at MidnightCorey.com. And, yeah, yeah, it's a great time. I'm a busy fella. So, um, and next week, um, before I tell you what I'm going to be talking about next week, as far as movies and things like that go, um, there is another movie that I'm kind of, uh, uh, not able to find whatsoever, except for like 20 bucks on some weird site. And I'm not willing to pay 20 bucks for this. Uh, there is a movie that was made in like 1933 or 1934. It depends who you ask. Uh, it was originally called, uh, the Scotland Yard Mystery. Uh, and then when it was released in North America, it was called The Living Dead. Um, I can't find this movie anywhere, like I said, outside of having to pay like 20 bucks. I mean, I only paid five bucks for The Ghoul. And that was, you know, the really nice MGM remastered edition, which was well worth the five bucks. So, yeah, you start getting in the $20 range and it's like... That's that's a bit steep, and from what I'm reading of the movie, it's kind of like the rest of, kind of like these Karloff ones that we've been watching. They're essentially crime dramas, and they just kind of work in, you know, some guy that was brought back from the dead, and it's not all that good. But I would like to watch it, and I would like to tell you about it and discuss it and see what place that it holds in zombie history, in cinematic zombie history. So, 
I don't know. I don't know. If any of you guys know where I can pick that up, that would be great. I'm, I'm, I don't want to pay much for it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we're going to have to skip over that one for now. Next week, the next one that uh, we're coming to, oh boy, we're seeing a zombie comedy. Believe it or not. And it is starring none other than the late, great Bob Hope. This is a picture from 1940 called The Ghost Breakers. And here we see the appearance of the zombie comedy. The Zomcom, if you trendy people like to refer to it that way. Yeah, so no, no, Shaun of the Dead wasn't the first zombie comedy. You know, we didn't see the first of the zombie comedies with Return of the Living Dead or anything like that. No, it happened back in 1940 with Bob Hope. How about that? So yeah, that's the Ghost Breakers. We'll be checking that one out. I haven't watched this one yet, so I have no idea what I'm in store for. We'll see. So thank you for listening. Please visit my blog, midnightcory.com. That's where all this weirdness originates and a whole lot more good stuff for you there. You can call the voicemail of death at 814-806-2828 if you'd like to let me hear your voice and offer your comments and criticism and cussing and abuse. Um, you can hear me on James Melzer's podcast, Unleashed. Great guy, great podcast. Go over to jamesmelzer.net and check him out. He is a talented, talented guy, much more so than myself. So that's it. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you again next week. I don't like your jerk-off name. I don't like your jerk-off face. I don't like your jerk-off behavior, and I don't like you jerk-off.